Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not with solid food, for you were not ready. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while you were... For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not behaving merely as human? So this is a passage of scripture that I'm sure is familiar to many of you. Uh, It's uh, one that we've all heard many times, this concept of being fed on spiritual milk as opposed to solid food and what that means. So as we look into this today, I'm going to try to dissect this passage a bit and move through it and look at what it means to, to mature and to grow spiritually, to allow ourselves that ability and to grow, to grow in our faith, to grow in our relationship with God, and with that, grow in our relationship with one another. So Paul is talking to the Corinthians. He was in Corinth for... A, a period of many months, I believe, several, couple of years actually, he was in Corinth when he was on his missionary journey. And he's referencing that time when he was with them at first, talking to them. He says, I couldn't address you as spiritual people. You were people of the flesh. You were infants in your faith. You were infants in Christ. So I had to feed you milk. I could not feed you solid food. He's now writing a letter to them quite a bit later saying, this is the way I addressed you when I was there, and it was because you weren't ready, but I'm still having to address you that same way. I'm still having to feed you spiritual milk and not solid food because you haven't grown. You're still infants in your faith all of this time later. Those that are new to their faith as we can see from this, are not necessarily expected to have the same spiritual maturity as those who have been long in their faith. Paul doesn't seem to be condemning the Corinthian Christians for the fact that he had to address them in simple terms when he first met them, when he first brought them the gospel. They weren't expected to be able to know more than what they did at that point in time. But they haven't grown, and that becomes the issue. Uh, it's interesting I, for myself, having a one-and-a-half-year-old and having a month-old niece and all these lots of babies in my life at this point, uh, this concept of milk to solid food is a very interesting one. It sticks out to me. A baby needs only milk to survive. Uh, the breast milk of a mother provides all of the nutritional needs that a baby could need. It has everything the baby needs. That's all it needs to survive and grow. But with that, milk is simple. 
Milk is a liquid. It means you don't need teeth to ingest it. Milk is easy to digest for a, a new, undeveloped digestive system. A baby's digestive system can easily digest its mother's milk. But at the same time, milk is, inc- milk is incredibly complex. I don't know if any of you have ever looked at the nutrition information on the side of a, uh, a formula packet. Uh, it stuck out to me. Uh, we had a package, uh, a container of formula on our kitchen counter for many months to see one entire side of the package, this big, was the nutrition information. And it was smaller print than the normal nutrition information you get on the box of a cereal. So there is so much in it. It is so complex. It has everything that a baby needs to grow. All of the fat, all of the vitamins, all of the minerals, every nutrient that a baby needs to grow and survive comes from its mother's milk. So the same way that milk for a baby is simple and yet complex, the gospel is simple and yet complex. For a new believer, someone in the infancy of their faith, the gospel is easy to digest. It is easy for them to receive it and receive the blessing of the gospel to receive salvation through Christ, the message of the gospel. It is easy and simple for the new believer to understand the same way a baby can grow on its milk, its mother's milk and it has everything that's there. It's easy for the baby to grow. It is easy for us to receive the gospel and grow. Everything is there that we need for our growth. But at the same time, the gospel is very complex. And it's not that there are two gospels. There's not a gospel for the the infant in faith and another gospel for the mature in faith. It is the same gospel. But it's that same gospel that provides easy nourishment for the infant in their faith that is so complex, the most well-educated theologian will never be able to fully comprehend it and understand it. The gospel is simple enough that it is good news to everyone. Anyone can understand the good news of the gospel. But it is so complex that no amount of education, no amount of intellect will ever allow someone to fully comprehend it. So, what does that mean for us? How do we move from the gospel being this simple, easy nutrition to help us grow through the infancy of our faith to this complex, living word that we will never fully understand? What we see here is, going back to the analogy of an infant, a baby growing, for the first several years or several months of a baby's life, six, seven months, depending on the child, all they need is their mother's milk. When they go beyond that, if you get to a child who is now a year old and they're showing no interest in anything other than milk, that child will become malnourished. As the child grows, the child needs to expand to solid food. If our understanding of the gospel does not understand or does not expand, and we do not grow with the faith, with our faith, and grow in the complexity of the gospel, 
our faith becomes malnourished. Now, for a child, a child grows and a child drinks milk and grows, and it's natural. There's nothing that the child needs to consciously do to grow. Our faith is not the same way. We need to work at our faith. We need to to work to develop our faith. We need to work to better understand the complexities of the gospel. We are called to grow, and that growing in our faith takes effort on our parts. So how do we grow? What does this growth look like? Is it a... Do we measure our growth by the complexity of the gospel that we understand? Do we measure our growth by how many biblical commentaries we've read? Do we measure our growth by our understanding of complex theological concepts? I would say, no, we do not measure it by that. For some, that is an important part of their growth, is to read complex theologies. But not all of us need to read all 14 volumes of Karl Barth's Church Dogmatics. There are some of us who do, and if you're one of those people who would like to, there's a copy of them in one of the offices over there, and it is not mine. Uh, but that does not measure our growth. It, does, it isn't what we have read and the complexity of what we understand that measures our growth. With that, I'm not, you need to read to grow. You don't need to read complex theologies, but find good, biblically solid, theologically sound books and read them. It is one of the, one of the ways in which we can grow the most. Another is through our community, which I'll touch on later, but reading good, theologically founded books is a very important way to read. Obviously, reading our Bible is, is a given. That is a necessity to grow spiritually. I would also say that we need to read beyond that. And it doesn't mean reading something complex, reading a complex theology, reading a biblical commentary that every other word is the transliteration of the Greek to English that is complex, and all you're trying to do is figure out, how do, what does that Greek word say? Good theological foundation can come in any form of literature. You just have to look for it. It can come in those theological texts. It can come in novels. It can come in something as simple as a children's novel. If you, when you read, look for the messages of the gospel. Look for the messages of the truth about our Lord that are within those good theologically sound books. For example, uh, I've been reading, again, I've been reading through the Chronicles of Narnia. Isabel is at the age where she enjoys having those read to her. Uh, for those of you who don't know, they are a fictional series by C.S. Lewis, and he's, it's this... Uh, family that goes to another world and they become kings and queens in this other world and it is very much allegorical um, there is a character named Aslan who is a lion uh, he represents the person of Jesus 
Uh, in one of the books, he is killed and comes back to life. It is very pointed allegory. In one of the books uh, that uh, that come that comes after that, uh, one of the characters, one of the the children from our world that is in Narnia, sees Aslan for the first time when she comes back. And the book says, "Aslan," said Lucy, "you're bigger." That is because you are older, little one, he answered. Not because you are? I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. This is a simple conversation between two fictional characters in a children's novel. But it speaks profoundly about our spiritual growth and our relationship with God. It gives us that solid understanding that God does not change. God has always been bigger than we can imagine. But as we grow, we see more of him. So he will appear bigger to us. He will, his love will appear greater. His mercy will appear greater. His majesty and his power will appear greater as we grow in our faith. Not because he's changed, but because we have. I would encourage you to look for things like this in the literature you read, in your everyday life. Look for the examples. Look for the things that give example of our Christian faith, of our understanding of who God is, and grow from them. See these things and apply them to your lives. Be on the lookout for everything in our lives that points us to Christ whatever it may be. So, to, back to the question of how do we measure our growth in our faith? How do we measure our growth in our spiritual maturity? How do we get from milk to solid food? Now, as cliche as it sounds, I truly, honestly believe the one true measurement of our faith and our spiritual maturity is love. As we grow in our faith, we will become more loving. As we grow in our faith and our spirituality with Christ matures, we will become more compassionate. We will become more caring towards others. If you want to know if you're, you've matured spiritually over the last year, look back at the last year and say, am I more loving now than I was? Am I more kind to others? Do I show more compassion? That is the measurement of whether we have matured spiritually. The more we mature in our faith, the more we mature in our relationship with Christ, the more we will become like him and the more we can show his love. An example from my own life, as, as a child, I understood my salvation to be mainly about me. I didn't believe that I really had anything to do with my salvation. I, as from a fairly young age, understood that it was God who had saved me. I hadn't really done anything for it. But as a child, my salvation was about my own benefit. As a child, to a great extent, we can't expect more. For many things in a child's life, 
a child sees everything about themselves. As they mature, they start to see the world around them. As we mature in our faith, we should start to see the world around us through our faith. Our salvation is not principally about our own benefit. Our salvation is for the benefit of those around us. If our salvation is only for ourselves, it's a pretty small salvation that we have. If our salvation is for everyone around us, so that we can show God's love to them, because God has saved me, I can show God's love to every one of you and to every person that I meet. That is a big salvation. That is a salvation that is significant. Because of, as I've grown, and as I continue to grow, by no means am I, am I perfect at this, by no means am I anywhere close to where I should be in this regard, but my salvation allows me to love others well. And it is because of my faith, and not in spite of my faith, because of my faith, that I can stand up for the marginalized in our society, even if I don't, don't agree with them. I can stand up for those who are condemned in society, even if I do not agree with what they are doing, even if what they are doing persecutes me, even if what they are doing goes against what I believe, I can defend those who are marginalized because of my faith. My faith helps me to celebrate with those around me, and it helps me to mourn with those around me. When someone is mourning for whatever reason, my faith allows me to connect with them more fully than I could without my Christian faith. When someone is joyful, my salvation in Christ and him living within me, his spirit within me, is what allows me to truly rejoice with someone who is rejoicing over something. On a human level, I can see someone who's celebrating and I can celebrate with them. But I can celebrate with them so much better because God's Spirit is within me and I am celebrating in Christ with them. That celebration with them becomes more my mourning with those who have experienced loss becomes deeper. I am, through Christ, I can become more connected to those around me. My salvation can help build and encourage those around me. It is through my faith that I can say to someone, another Christian, how are you doing in your faith. Are you growing? It is through my own faith and my own salvation in Christ in me that I can say that to them and encourage them and build them up. In the same way that my faith is built up by others around me who, talk, who say to me, Keith, how are you doing? How is your spiritual health? How is your relationship with Christ? Are you growing? 
I can help others and others can help me. That is the call of our salvation. It is not about me. It is not about any one of you individually. Our salvation is about us. Later on in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he will talk about the church being one body and Christ is the head. We are all together as one under Christ. Our salvation is not an individual thing. Although we are each individually saved, our salvation is beyond that. Our salvation is for all. And as I've touched on this idea of my salvation allowing me to love others more fully and my salvation allowing me to help and encourage others, that is not just because of my role as a pastor. That is because of my faith. It is a core part of my faith and my salvation. It has nothing to do with my occupation. With that being said, it is a core part of everyone's faith and salvation that they work to encourage and to support and to build up one another. How we go about showing God's love to other people and supporting them is different for each of us. We are all different people. We all have different ways that we interact with others. We have different gifts and abilities and talents. And the way that we show God's love to others will be different for each and every one of us. But the one thing that stays constant is we are all called to show God's love to others. That is a core tenant of our salvation, that we love one another and we show God's love to each other. So as we jump back to the passage that Jen read for us, we see Paul talking to the Corinthians and he says to them, I did not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. That's in the very first verse. Now here's where I'm going to get a little bit uh, complex in this, as I said earlier. Reading commentaries where every other word seems to be a transliteration of the Greek, I'm now going to give you some Greek because I find I think it's important to understand here. The word in verse 1 that is translated in our Bibles, flesh, uh, in some translations it is worldly or carnal. Um, flesh is probably the most accurate English translation. In verse 1, it has a Greek word that is sarkinos, which means, has a, a meaning of made of flesh. Paul says to the Corinthians, I couldn't address you as spiritual people because you were made of flesh. You were infants in your faith. He doesn't seem to condemn them for this, though. He's saying, when, you, when I was there with you, I gave you what you needed to grow at that point. I gave you what you could handle at that point. Paul goes on to say, and even now you are not ready. You're not, for you are still of the flesh. In verse 3, the word translated flesh is a very similar word, but it is a different word in the Greek. Verse 1 was sarkinos, which is made of flesh. Verse 3 has the word sarkikos. Sarkikos means characterized by flesh. So Paul is saying to them, 
when I first was there, you were people. You were human beings. You were new to your faith. I had to give you the food and the gospel that was appropriate for you at that age. Now, you should have matured. And he switches, and there's, con- there's some condemnation from Paul to the Corinthian church in this. He's no longer saying you are made of flesh. That, that hasn't changed, and that can't change. We are human beings made of human flesh. But Paul says, you are characterized by your flesh. As we mature in our faith, we are to become characterized by the Spirit of God. God's Spirit is indwelling within us. God himself lives within us, and that is how we're supposed to be characterized. Paul was saying to the Corinthian church, you're still characterized by your flesh. You're still characterized by your worldliness. You have had the gospel for years, and you have not grown anything beyond taking the milk, the the very simple, the basic level. You haven't grown to become characterized by God's Spirit within you. You're still characterized by your earthly being, by your fleshly desires. And Paul, at this point and further on in the letter, becomes very, very harsh in his condemnation of the Corinthian church. He's saying to them, why have you not grown? I gave you everything you needed. All you needed to do was put in a little bit of effort and a little bit of work and understand. He says, I told you that it was about loving people. I gave you the gospel message, the gospel that God loved us so much that he became like us. He gave up his majesty and his glory and became human. That is the gospel. And he did that so that we could love, so that we could love to that same extent, that we could share his love. And Paul says, but you haven't got that. You're still focused on yourself. You're still saying this salvation, look what God did for me, not look what God did so that I can bless others. Paul's saying, how can you not get this? He says, it's because you're still characterized by your fleshly desires. You need to become characterized by the Spirit of Christ living within you. You need to get beyond your selfishness. You need to get to the point where you see your salvation as being for others, not just yourself. You need to get to the point where you see your community as one body. Your community, your church, the believers around you are all part of what you are doing in Christ, in your salvation. And it's not about you. It's about going out to others. It's about spreading the gospel. The Corinthians had not grown past the infancy of their faith. Now, this is not to say that there were none that were mature in their faith in Corinth. We have a letter from Paul written to the church as a whole. Undoubtedly, there were people at different points of their spiritual journey within the church in Corinth, but overwhelmingly, they were immature in their faith. 
I believe that we need to make sure that we are not that immature in our faith, church. Please don't hear me as saying, I think that we are an immature, immature church in our faith. I am not saying that. But what I am saying is we need to continuously grow. As, the, the, as, an, as a baby discovers more food, a baby realizes, does not invent more food. More food has not been invented as the baby grows. All of the food that we eat as adults is there for those that are infants. They are discovering it. And the more they discover, the more they grow in that sense. Their, their culinary taste grows as they grow. And it, can, and it never, there's no end to that. It can continue to grow. The same as our faith can continue to grow. There is no end to our growth. God is so far beyond our comprehension that we, can, that we will never be finished growing in our understanding of him and our understanding of his love. Therefore, we need to work to continue to grow. We don't get to a point and say, I'm now spiritually mature, that's good, I'm done. As we mature spiritually, we realize how little we know. When I started at Bible college, I knew I didn't know a lot about the Bible and sort of the, the understanding. I, I mean, I've read my Bible, be, have been reading my Bible as, for as long as I can remember. One of the first books I started reading was a Bible. And so, I mean, I knew I had a good biblical foundation, a good knowledge of what the Bible was. But the one thing that I realized is after four, five years of Bible college, I knew far less when I graduated than I did when I started. Not that I actually knew less, because in actual fact, on a one level, I knew far more. But I realized what I didn't know was far greater. The more we mature, the more we will realize that we don't know. We, we will never know the fullness of God's love. We will never know the fullness of his mercy, the fullness of his compassion. We need to work to continue growing. And there are many ways that we do that. Uh, one of those ways is as I touched on earlier, is reading. We read our Bibles. We spend time in prayer. We meditate on the Word of God. We read other literature. We find good authors who have good biblical foundation and good theology, and we read. Whether it be fiction, whether it be nonfiction, whatever it may be, look for the examples of Christ in what you read. Grow in that. And another way that I believe it is impossible to grow in our faith without is community. If part of our faith, if our faith is for those around us, how can we possibly grow without interacting with those around us? That's part of the reason why we have this different setup of chairs today. As Allison mentioned, it's so that we can see those around us. We aren't focusing on a screen while we're singing necessarily. We can look across. We can see people's faces, not just the backs of heads. We are a community. We are one body together as believers. 
And it is through our relationships and our interactions and our building one another up that we will grow in our faith. So don't don't shut yourself off. Don't lock yourself up and say, I'm so committed to my faith that I'm just going to sit on my own and meditate and pray and read by myself all the time. There is need for that. There is need for personal, individual meditation and prayer and reading. But that's not enough. Don't let that become your only time of growth. Interact with others. Have meaningful conversations with others. Share with others the experiences that you've had where you've seen Christ in your life around you. You've, where you've seen Christ in your neighbor. Where you've seen Christ in your co-worker. God made all of humanity in his image. Whether we have recognized that ourselves or not, we are still in God's image. We can see the love of Christ in everyone around us because Christ loves them. If we see them as Christ sees them and love them, we will see Christ's love and the beauty of God's creation in them. Share those experiences with one another. Encourage one another. Build one another up. Don't remain in spiritual infancy and don't don't get past that and say, I've passed my spiritual infancy and remain in adolescence or middle age or whatever it may be. Continue to grow spiritually. There is no end to our spiritual growth. There is no end to God's love and mercy. Therefore, there is no end to how much we can know of his love and mercy and how much we can show others of his love and mercy. For everyone, this growth is at different rates. It gets to a point where we, there are some things that we can comprehend. As there, are, there are some people who are, have PhDs in philosophy that I could never comprehend the things that they comprehend because my brain just isn't wired that way. That doesn't mean that I need to try to comprehend those things spiritually but I need to continue to grow spiritually in the ways that I do comprehend. Push yourself. Stretch yourself. If you are someone who has an intellectual, academic mind who likes the complexities of theology and the complexities of different views of things within our faith, Go to that. Grow in that. Grow in your knowledge of that. But do that so that you can more wholly love others. Stretch yourself. Get to the point where you feel like, I'm at the boundaries of what I can comprehend. And push. Try to get a little bit further. Grow in your faith. But always do so knowing that you are growing in what you know on an intellectual level, on an academic level, on whatever level it may be, you are growing in that so that you can grow in your love for others. Go out into this world and show compassion. Go out into the world and show love and kindness and mercy. Love the marginalized. Love the, love the condemned. Love those 
who our society sees as less than others. And love those that are elevated. Love those that our society puts on a pedestal. Don't look at them and say, oh, well, they're so arrogant, I can't love them. You can love them the same way you can love the marginalized. Love, show our love, show God's love to everyone. Move from the milk of the gospel to the deeper, solid food of the gospel. Knowing that it is the same gospel. The gospel that has inspired theologians to write volumes and volumes of academic, heavy literature that is difficult to read is the same gospel that a child can understand that is God loves each and every one of us. God loves us so much, he was willing to give up his glory and become like us. He loves us so much that he was willing to suffer death. As Paul writes in another one of his letters, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loves us so much that before we recognized him, before we were even born, he was willing to die for us. And that was all part of his plan. The cross was not a backup plan. God does not change. It was the fulfillment of his love. It was the fulfillment of his compassion and mercy towards us. And we are called to show that same compassion and mercy to all of those around us. So as we now move towards communion, we uh, will share the bread and the cup as we normally do. And in that, I would encourage you as you pass the bread, as you pass the cup to the person next to you, to look at them, to, to realize that this is someone that is part of our body as the church. This is someone that our salvation is to benefit. Christ took bread and he took wine at the Last Supper the night before he was, the night before he was crucified. And he took it and said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me.